I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. Welcome once again. Love you guys. I love it when I get to be here. I love this opportunity, by the way, to speak in front of you guys, bring God's word. Hopefully, doing that by God's grace. Um, but yeah, like I've been really enjoying the sermon series, the series between me, myself, and Mark Dunn. I've been able to talk to you about the spiritual habits, uh, something that, as followers of Christ, we should do daily. Uh, the first one we talked about was reading our Bibles. If you're a follower of Christ, we need to read our Bible. And then we talked about prayer, how we have that communication with God, and how we need to be continually fasting as well. Um, and we're ending our series today. But before we do, it was Allie's birthday on uh, just on the 25th, just last Wednesday. Oh, oh my goodness. Happy birthday to you, everybody. Happy birthday to you online. Happy birthday, dear Allie. Happy birthday to you. I love birthdays. I really do. It's it's probably either because I like birthdays because it's either my birthday or if I get to be obnoxious for someone else. Something I love to do. Something I love to do. And something about birthdays kind of brings up this event that I'm talking about, this idea of discipline. Christ calls us, not to you know sing happy birthday, but Christ calls us uh, in any celebration of any sort, in any community. You know, Christ is calling us into a Christ-centered community. That is what we're talking about this morning. Our spiritual discipline, this habit that we need to do, is have Christ-centered community. And this morning, I want to be able to communicate to you why we desperately need people in our lives, why we desperately need people on a consistent basis in our lives, how we need to know each other deeply, and we need to have people know us deeply. When we do this, we're better equipped to serve God. With that being said, I'd like to invite you to stand up for our reading this morning. It comes in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, which is 23 through 25. Uh, the NLT, I believe. And it begins, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that it would be your words being spoken through me and not my own. But I, I put aside every, every intention of mine, anything that is wrong, and Lord, I just ask that you would just come into the service this morning, that you're already here, and I pray that Right now, as we're, we're learning about what it means to be a Christ-centered community, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone online, we would have our hearts softened and we would listen to what your word says. I thank you for everyone here. It's not by accident that they're here, but you drew them here. You draw them here. And Lord, I just pray that you would just 
He would move in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. Oh, wait, uh, you're able to have a seat, uh, wave to each other. If you're online, send a pizza emoji because that's funny. Um, so uh, to begin this morning, our spiritual disciplines that we've talked about so far have really led us to this verse here, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope uh, w- without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God has given us the tools to hold on tightly to the promise that we affirm to. God has given us these tools. I mean, these tools have been reading our Bible. It has been praying in communication with God and, you know, having that direct communication, that relationship with God. It's been fasting. But he also gives us another tool, and that's the community of other believers. That's this community that we have. Now, why does he give us this? I mean, it's not necessarily a tool that we can have. It's not necessarily a sword or a shield like the other things that we've been given, you know, prayer, fasting, uh, reading. You can do those things on your own. Um, But God gives us a community of believers. Why does he give us this? Why does he ask us to do this? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Because being alone stagnates your growth. We're followers of Christ, and if we're supposed to grow in what we believe and grow towards God and and these disciplines, being alone stagnates your growth. In America, we have this idea, okay? It's called individualism. Okay, we, we all want independence. It's part of the American dream, am I right? Independence is great. You see the movie Independence Day? Stupid aliens die. Um, you know, uh, you know, like we want that independence. It, it's a good thing. Getting your first car when you're a teenager, you got your car, you're like, I'm driving somewhere. I'm leaving. You know, getting your first job, getting an education and graduating, doing these things on your own, getting your own country, independence is a good thing. These are very good things. It's a good thing to have. It's all about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It can get hard. It can be tough at times, but, you know, we should be independent. And that is a good thing because it, you, success is never given. Success is earned. So let me be clear. Independence is a good thing. You know, just for example, I remember when I first got my job, my first job I ever got. I didn't get it till a year and a half out of high school. If you're a parent right now, you're like, what are you doing? Like, get out of my house. No, you get a job. Like, and trust me, I wanted a job so badly, and I could not find one. I kept having to go to, like, this place called Manpower. It was in La Crosse, and they would give me odd jobs here and there. Like, I worked at a quick trip. I worked at a lumber yard. Worked at weird jobs, but it wasn't stable. It wasn't something like my job. And so I was dependent on my parents. This was tough on me because I was like, mm, I feel kind of pathetic. You know, I wanted a job. This is just honest right here. So when I first got my first job, I worked at a deli, and I know all about meat and cheese and salads. There's a lot of potato salad, okay? When I first got my first job, I just felt independent right there. I was like, yes, I did it. Did it on my own. I got it. Now, the danger in this American dream, the danger in being independent comes in when you become so independent that you're not willing to take any handout. You're not willing to take any help. I believe 
that when that happens, like you're like, that's a threat to who I am. You don't, you don't want that. You're like, no, I can do it on my own. I can do it myself. We, we may like allow people in on the surface of our lives. We don't let people in. We have walls built up. That is when it becomes dangerous. That is when it becomes a problem. This American individualism in America has emphasized God to the point where we have a relationship with God, but not with the church. God calls us as Christians to go to church, to be a part of a community. We think that we can focus on a relationship with Christ and forget about the bride of Christ. That is wrong. We cannot be doing that. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, this scripture right here is all about Adam and Eve. And it's, hey, it's not good for the man to be alone. Specifically, it was talking about with Adam and Eve, a relationship between them and growing. However, I do believe that from this, we can also gather in many other pieces of scripture in the Bible, we can gather that we're relational creatures. We need people in our lives. Even the most introvert of introverts need people in our lives. If you've built yourself up in America by your own strength, one, again, being independent is a good thing, but we need to be able to let our walls down and let people in. The same way that when you first accepted Christ, you were letting your guard down, letting your walls down and saying, God, take my life. I can't do it on my own. The same way that you allowed people into your life, we, or you allowed God into your life, we need to allow people into our life to help us out when times get hard. You know, the, the situation that might happen and most likely does happen is in Scripture, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, the lion doesn't, like, run after a group of prey. It doesn't, like, run after, like, a hundred, I don't know, antelope, okay? It's, it's not going to do that. It might do that at first, but once it finally sees someone scurry off, it's like, ooh, that's food right there. That's dinner, okay? He's, the devil is going to look for the one who's sick, the one who's hurting, the one who's alone. If you go to a safari, the first rule is always stay with the group. And that rule applies to believers. That rule applies, if you've you've accepted Christ in your life, that rule applies to us. If you say Christ is in your heart, it applies to us. Because if we become isolated, we weaken ourselves. We become more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We become stagnated. And eventually, we quit growing in Christ to the point the devil just picks us off. We can't do that. We need to stay in the group. We need people in our lives. We need people. Now, when we stop isolating ourselves and we decide to go with the group and we do decide to go to church, we go to events, we begin to sing happy birthday to Allie, when we decide to do this, why does the volume raise exponentially? 
not just because of me. Yes, it's because of me, probably. But more so because the volume raises exponentially. You know why? It's because being together strengthens our growth. Like the volume just gets huge. Not just because I have a microphone. It happened wherever. Because together as a group, as a group we begin to, uh, to strengthen. I want to be very specific. We definitely need to be at church. We definitely need to be at any event that we have going on. But I want to direct our attention somewhere else. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. We need to be together in every way possible. But I want to put a disclaimer out here. This scripture over the last year and a half has probably been used as a blunt weapon. And I just need to put this out here. We do need to be together. We do need to have our churches open, 100%, even during COVID. However, I also believe that in light of Scripture, we need to love those around us. If we're going to reach our community, we need to be wise in how we approach that. We need to recognize what's going on. You know, just a quick example, there was the woman who was caught in adultery she was naked and caught in adultery and thrown before Jesus. Did Jesus condemn her? No. Yeah, obviously he knew this was wrong, but you know what? He recognized that there was a greater need. Her life was at stake. He didn't push that agenda of what he knew was right. He was focused somewhere else. I think we need to be wise in how we address certain issues. We need to be wise in how we use Scripture. You know what? It's not a blunted instrument to hit people over the head with. So with that being said, coming back to the scripture, I am not using it that way. I want to be clear with that. I do want to speak on a deeper level of community. It says in Hebrews 10.25, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we're going to go to King David. Because King David has a lot of great examples of what to do and what not to do. Specifically right here, what not to do. Okay, consider King David uh, for a moment. He was, even if you don't know the story of King David, you do know he's a king. I'm calling him a king. Okay, he had wealth, he had power, he had God's favor, and he even had accountability. Think about that last one. When's the last time you saw a king that had accountability to anyone? That doesn't happen. Kings aren't accountable. Kings can do what they want. They're king, okay? They're the top dog. But King David was different. He recognized, like, he, the, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. So he was accountable to God. He recognized that there is a God above him that gave him everything. Because of this, he also realized that he's accountable to God. He also realized he needed people in his life that he was accountable to. Our story of David begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11, but we're, we're not going to read it. Okay, I'm going to give you a summary. Go read it yourself. I think it's great. Okay, it gets a lot more details that, that I'm going to give you, but it's, he's basically, he's on his rooftop. He sees this woman bathing naked and was like, yo, come over here. He lays with her. She was a married woman. And then he's like, oh, I got to try covering this up because now she's pregnant. 
And so he he's ba- he says, like, yo, Uriah, her husband, come on home, uh, be with your wife. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that because all of the other men are fighting off in the war. So then basically he's like, okay, send Uriah to the front lines so that he's killed and that he doesn't have to live with this guilt. So King David ended up sleeping with another man's wife, ended up trying to hide it and cover it up, and ended up murdering, by default, Uriah. This is bad. This is one of those things you don't do. This is a lesson we learned from David what not to do. And in chapter 12, we begin to see accountability at work. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1-4 says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poorer man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, prepared it for his guest. I love right here that Nathan doesn't just approach David and say, hey, knucklehead, what are you doing? He doesn't do that. Nathan is wise in what he's doing. And he approaches David with humility by telling David a story. A story that almost makes you cringe when you read it. You're like, what are you doing? This, this rich man is it's terrible what he just did. You get emotional and you get upset. Like, how could he do this? And David's response was that David was furious. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. You see, even David was upset at the man beginning to sentence this man to death in the story. Even David was just ticked. He was angry. He was casting judgment on this man. And thank God that David had Nathan in his life. You know what Nathan says next? He responds to, Nathan, to David and says, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. I want to remind you guys, David's still king at this point. David is still king. David can still, like, to the gallows, okay? You know, he can still have him killed right at this point. But Nathan, without a stutter, said, you are that man. We need accountability such as this in our lives. We need to be open enough to have people read our mail and call us out on the things that we are doing in our lives that are wrong. We need people in our lives who are going to call us out on this stuff. Thankfully, David's response is found later. I love that David said, uh, I have sinned against the Lord. I love that David recognized that Nathan wasn't a foe. Nathan wasn't a bad guy. He was actually David's friend. He was David's friend for calling him out. Nathan was there to help him out of the hole that David put himself into. That is what Nathan was there for. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we decide to confess our sins to each other, when you decide to have someone in your life that you can confess your sin verbally and not just vaguely, not just, uh, God, I, uh, I lied. No, be, be specific. Sometimes if we want to get, if we want to attack this sin that's like just, that's in our hearts, we're going to have to be specific at times. If you're praying to God, sometimes you can think that, oh, I, I asked for forgiveness, I'm good, and I'll move on. I have God's grace, I'm good, I'll move on. Well, I think that's what David did. Apparently that wasn't enough. I think that's exactly what David did. David was probably having a relationship with God and was like, God, I laid with another man's wife. I killed the guy. I did a lot of wrong, but thank you for your grace and mercy. Okay, let's move on with life. Sometimes, yes, we need that personal relationship with God. We've already talked about that. But sometimes we need to be very specific with what we've done. And I believe that we need to confess our sins to each other. We need to verbally confess our sins. Like, we've done something wrong. We need to do this. You think about David. It was about nine months that passed before Nathan confronted David. It says a child was born. Nine months later, sometimes we think that because weeks have passed, or days, weeks, months, that, okay, it's in the past, I've already con confessed my sin to God. Sometimes we need people in our lives who we can confess to. When we confess our sins to each other, we will deeply know each other. Being together in community strengthens our growth. It's another spiritual discipline that God gives us. It's like the cavalry that comes in. Or if you're watching the Avengers, it's like the end game, and Captain America's there, and then the Falcon's like on your left, and then everyone comes in. Okay, everyone's there to beat Thanos and was like, yeah, we're going to kick your butt. Okay, that is what it's like when we have a community of believers who we deeply know each other. We are here for each other. If you have problems going on in your life, we need to deeply know each other, and we need to be able to open up to each other. Strongly believe in that. Now, so far we've talked about how being alone isn't good, how being together is good, and when we do get together, we begin to attract others because it's a contagious movement. When we get together as Christ-centered community, being together sparks others' growth. People outside of our community, they're like, whoa, what's happening over here? Even if you're online or in this room, we sang happy birthday to Allie. Everyone joined in. Even if you didn't know her, you joined in online. I know you did. Okay? As an extrovert, I've been told, hey, Mark, you should have your own TV show. You do, should do your own stand-up comedy. No, it doesn't work like that, you guys. I don't work like that. I don't fly high when I do that. Okay? I'm more off the cuff. I'm more of a sidekick. It's if you give me control, that's when I don't do good. But if I'm not in control and I'm supposed to be quiet, that's when I'm like, okay, here I am. I want to be the center of attention. That's just what I do. Uh, for, for example, for instance, uh, every year at camp, I love going to camp. My favorite thing is always finding something that would be considered dumb to most people and get every kid to do it by the end of the week. Because that is hilarious to me. 
okay? Like, I've gotten people to say, do work. Do work, son. That's, I don't know. It's not going to spark right now. I need more time. Give me a week and you all do it. Um, you know, I, I've gotten people to say other dumb things like, do it for the joke. Um, I've, ex I've even, this year, I experimented with, uh, you guys know Chariots of Fire? The song Chariots of Fire? It goes, doom, doom, doom. Do, 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 do. And by the end of the week, everyone was like walking everywhere. Da, 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 da. And it was good for me. I loved it. Not everyone else did, but I loved it. You know, I've gotten to do a lot of dumb things that I really enjoy. Another example is uh, we were doing a scavenger hunt this year. Um, I wasn't that into it. By 20 minutes in, half the kids were just kind of standing around. And we had like uh, about. Our yellow team, we had about 10 students by me, and I'm an entertainer. I can't help it. It's what I've been called to do. Um, so I had a great idea to get a lot of laughs. Um, you got to understand at this point, during the scavenger hunt, everyone is surrounded by the activities directors over here, and they're waiting for clues like, where's that pineapple? Where's that banana? We had to go look for fruit around the campground. Okay, and they're waiting for clues, and it's like, oh, it might be by the campfire. It might be by the chapel. So then I'm like, okay, I tell the kids, hey, let's all scream and start running over to the snack stand and be like, snack stand, snack stand, snack stand, it's over there. Okay, and we're all going to laugh about who runs with us. We'll see of that mob mentality at work. And it, it, it was great, except one girl was like, what if we do it, but we all look like a bunch of idiots? And I'm like, I'm, I tell her, I have to ask myself that question every day of my life. And I proceed to tell her, no guts, no glory. And then right there, I'm like, snack, 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 snack. We all get going. We got about like 10 or 15 kids, a big group to start running and yelling with us. It was great. It was my humor. I loved it. You know, this year at senior high camp, I literally started doing this the first night of, of uh, when we all got to chapel. And it's like the introduction. And like anytime everyone clapped, I would go, huzzah, huzzah. We even got two students over here doing it, okay? I got everyone do, or, or my, my goal was to get everyone doing that. And then one of my youth students, Jack, was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Jack, just trust me, it's what I do. And he's like, no one's going to do that. Well, by the end of the week, everyone was doing this. Huzzah. Everyone was doing this. Hebrews 10.24, I'm getting back to the message, okay? <laughs> I'm not just telling you a bunch of stories for no reason. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. A lot of everything I just said was an example of me being me. It's an example of contagiousness and how contagious a group can be. An idea can spread. What did God call us to do? What idea are we supposed to spread? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're supposed to go and make disciples. We're supposed to spread the good news and live a radical life, live something completely different. You know, I look in the book of Acts, and all throughout Acts I see the Holy Spirit moving on people, 
spreading an infectious faith through other people. Being a community, a center of believers. In Acts 2, we see a group of people respond to a message of hope. It says, uh, 2, verses 34, or 37 through 41, Peter's words pierced their hearts. He just got done preaching a message. And they said to him, to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. A community of believers. There was about 120, this story, give you some reference, there was about 120 people in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Holy Spirit empowered Peter to speak a message of hope, and 3,000 people were saved that day. When we get together, we spark others' growth. We see stories in the book of Acts where people are responding to a message of hope. I believe that when we come together, we have a greater power to ignite other people. People who were dead now come to life because of us coming together. More so because of what Jesus is doing through us, but God uses this as a spiritual discipline. Whenever I go to a retreat or a worship night with other believers, I'm encouraged. My heart is stirred to do more. Every time I get back from camp, I'm like, okay, Markia, what are we going to do this year? We got to do some crazy new stuff. And we always try to implement new things. And then, uh, you know, every once in a while, we come back to a retreat. We come to something and our hearts are stirred. We get together with other believers from other churches, and we tell them what we're doing. They tell us what we're doing, and we're encouraged. It, it, it sparks something. It ignites something. We get to be creative with our ideas as we go throughout our community. An example, uh, I've been trying to be really creative with our leadership team. I've been encouraging this one for a while, but I want to stand outside our church with the song 99 Red Balloons going and giving out 99 red balloons. Yes, it's kind of weird, but I think it's hilarious, and I think it'll draw people in. (laughs) But whatever it is, we get to be creative with the ways we motivate people. We get to be creative with how we invite people. And when we come together, our faith is ignited. Your faith is ignited. My faith is ignited. People who are outside of this realm of community, of of, of believers right here in this church, their faith is ignited. They're like, I want what they have. I want what they have. I want Christ in my life because of what Christ is doing through our church. He's changing people. People begin to have a relationship with Christ. Now, we can sometimes think that we can argue people to heaven. We can argue people, uh, talk, answer any questions that they have. There's going to be a lot of questions. I have youth, We have youth group every Wednesday night. There's so many questions that students have, and some students, they can't, they can't get past you know, their, their, their brain portion. They're like, but this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't make sense to me. Guess what? You're never going to argue someone or answer all of their questions into heaven. I don't believe that that is what we're to do. 
We need to be smart and wise what we do and understand what, we're, what, what life is all about. But I believe that the same rule that applies to youth group applies to reaching the lost. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to be people who are caring for the lost. That is what's going to change their lives because they're going to see us and they're going to say, whoa, there's something different. Worship team, you're able to come back up. John 13, 34 through 35. This is Jesus speaking and he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our love for each other will prove to the world that we are his disciples. People who don't know Christ should be able to look at our church and be able to experience a kind of love that is unlike anything they have experienced. They should be able to look at our church and say, there's something different there. Yeah, I've experienced getting high. I've experienced getting drunk. I've experienced pornography. I've experienced uh, money and power and everything else this world can give me, but there's something different about that church. That is the kind of love that we need to have in this church, and we have that when we are a community of believers. God never intended for us to walk alone. Authentic community in which we deeply know others and are known by others is necessary for every believer. We must share our lives with other believers. That's why we're going to have communion this morning. But before we proceed with communion, I, I don't want to assume everyone here is part of our community. I don't want to assume that everyone here or even online has a relationship with Christ. I want to give an opportunity for those online, those in this room, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've heard me speaking about this community and this fellowship and how God changes our lives and you want that, I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you this morning, in your heart, Pray this prayer. Father, I've done wrong. I can't make it on my own. I've made mistakes along the way. But I recognize that you give life, you give purpose. I turn from my old life and I turn to you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that was you for the first time, please uh, come talk to us. If you're online, message someone. Come talk to us because I, I don't believe that it's enough to say a prayer and you're all good. I, I, I believe that's a doorway, but God says in Hebrews 10, 9, 10 that we confess our sins, that, that we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. We need to confess it to someone. We need to come and say, hey, I've accepted Jesus into my life, and we need to have people in our lives to help us. How am I supposed to live now? 
What am I supposed to do? And we want to be a church that's here for you to help you on that path, help you on that journey. And this morning, now, if you've done that for the first time, I want to welcome you into communion. Uh, this, this morning, if you want to take out your cup, if you're online, you can find some type of juice, some crackers, whatever it be, uh, something that's going to be symbolic of what Jesus has done. When we have communion, we're coming together in remembrance. We are coming together and remembering two things. The first is the bread. The bread that was broken for us. His body that was broken for us. The sacrifice that he made. We recognize what he's done for us. And the second is the forgiveness that we have through the blood. The forgiveness that's covered our sins. I just don't want to move past this point unless we truly recognize what's going on. I don't want this to be another moment where we come to church and have communion and go home. We need to know that what Jesus did meant something. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for the bread, the sacrifice that you made, not just the sacrifice of staying up all night praying for us, not just the sacrifice of being broken, of being beaten and being whipped, and not just the sacrifice of being crucified, but the sacrifice of taking on the cup of wrath, God's wrath, the wrath that we deserved. Jesus, you took that for us. You took our punishment. You took the things that we deserved Lord, we thank you for the bread. And we thank you for the blood that was shed. Not only did you take what we deserved, you gave us something we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve your love. God, it is a gift, and we are so thankful. Lord, I pray that we would just remember that right now as a community of believers. And I just pray that your spirit would reside in us as we remember. In Jesus' name. Now partake of the bread. And the cup. we're ending this series about spiritual disciplines, I just want to encourage you 
throughout this month, we were taught that we need to read God's word. We need to have a relationship with Christ. We need to fast and ask for God, especially now during these hard times. And we need to be together, especially now more than ever. that as we go into a few more songs of worship and just praise God for what he's been doing in our community and what he's doing through this church uh, I, let's go into a couple more songs of worship and thank him for everything he's done Heavenly Father we just thank you as we go and worship you this morning as we go throughout the week Lord I pray that we would become a community of believers that we would not be alone that we would have others know us deeply and that we would have an infectious faith that we would ignite the world around us. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here. I pray that you would just move in their hearts. I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.